Hi, and welcome to the Austin Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm Ward Wilsey, and right next to me is my wife, Katie, a licensed Texas real estate agent. Austin, Texas is one of the hottest real estate markets in the country, and not just for home buyers. Real estate investors from all across the country are finding great investment properties, too. We're avid real estate investors, and we're here to talk to you about our portfolio and the ups and downs of investing in Austin real estate. We'll also talk about how you can take advantage of the Austin market and develop your own passive income real estate portfolio, no matter where you live. So sit back and relax, take some notes, because here comes another episode of the the Austin Austin Real Estate Estate Investor Investor Podcast. Podcast. That was super lame. All right, and welcome to another episode of the Austin Real Estate Investor Podcast. Katie, how are you doing today? I'm good. It is uh, Friday the 10th, and we are hunkering down for what's supposed to be this like insane storm here in Austin. The storm of the year. Hopefully it doesn't hail too bad because <laughs> I did not put my truck in the garage. It's it's odd. It's a spring storm in winter that I think might actually never hit. It started, it was supposed to hit at two and then four and six and now eight. So we'll see. We shall see. So what, what did you do today? Uh, today I squeezed in a run. I'm training for the 3M half marathon that's coming up that is not going very pretty, but I squeezed in a run. And then I did a bunch of marketing and, um, I, I met a client at their new build, their new construction in Manshack for their inspection. So that was good. Nice. Yeah. How'd uh, the inspection go? It was good. I, I mean, the builder's great. It's at my home. So they. I, I would say it was overall an excellent inspection. I've seen some ugly inspections. Um, and this inspector in particular was uh, very thorough. Is that good or bad? Uh, it could be both, honestly. In this case, it was excellent. These are first-time homebuyers. They weren't even positive if they should hire a um, private inspection is kind of what this would be called. A lot of people with new construction don't because they just kind of fall back on their warranty. Yeah, because they're like, well, it's new. It's not going to be that I have a one-year warranty. They'll fix everything. But honestly, I mean, there were things that we went to caught. For example, the roof line has uh, several angles kind of coming at each other all at once, and then it funnels down. But before it funnels down, there's like a, like kind of a settling spot. Okay. So if they didn't put proper flashing under the the tiles, then there's going to be pooling of water, which I don't have a crystal ball. I can't say it's going to leak. But there's an increased chance that it would leak right there if they didn't set it up right. In a new construction. In new construction. So, in my head, to me, that's worth its weight in gold. Now we get to address that with the builder and make sure that we get that. Maybe maybe they have flashing underneath that we can't see. But until we know right now, it's, um, it's to be determined and pretty interesting to find that out that would not be something that i would be able to see with my own eyes and unfortunately you probably would never find it out until a horrible storm or two or three right which is maybe year four or five or six who knows yeah 
um, to that. And then just extra attention to detail, extra cosmetic things. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I got to thinking with the inspector that we selected. He's very, very thorough. And that can be good or bad. I mean, in some cases, they can scare a buyer away on things that are common, right? Right. I mean, I guess you want them to be a thorough. Like, you yes. want to know what's wrong. You want to be thorough, but there's... So, what happens in an inspection is oftentimes the inspector presents their findings to you. Okay. And they are often opinionated in their findings, right? Right, because they're not living there. And now, all of a sudden, they're making assumptions on things that... Like I just said, I don't have a crystal ball. Like, no one knows. Right. So there, there's, I mean, in some cases it's great. Like, we walked on a house in Waco because our inspector yes. said, this is likely going to fail soon. And there's actually several things that were going to fail soon. Yeah, I felt like it was the, like the roof, the, the... Foundation, the AC, the there was a, there was enough, and we couldn't negotiate. So it works. A thorough, like I, I don't know how to explain that because thorough is always good. But, but, it, but there it, are some times when they're like, well, that the hot water is off, like the, temp, the the it's too extreme, and the home buyers don't necessarily like pay attention. Like just. That's a very silly example, but just something like that. And now all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, the house doesn't work properly. Right. And and they're just being they're and just it's being like, dramatic. Uh, we could and... fix that. So many repairs are $10 repairs. Right. And and they make it look like there's something major structurally wrong with the house. Correct. And scare, especially like a first time home buyer. Like, I Correct. feel like when we, when we get inspector reports, we can tell when they're being kind of Dramatic. dramatic and if it's not a big deal There's but big ticket items that stand out uh so yeah so i this guy was super thorough um and had a ton of cosmetic things which that would be one thing that would maybe scare away a resale property yes because it feels like, oh my gosh, there's so many cosmetic things that I've got to repair. Mind you, all of most of these were like paint and stucco and um, I'm blanking on the caulking. Like I, I do, I've decided that caulking's I think, a two fifty, a two dollar and fifty cent tube that you squeeze and do a few things. And, and then the guy you... who does it, did it for this property, has major ADD. We've decided that like he was in the middle of caulking and was like squirrel, and all of a sudden stopped, like because it was <laughs> just like that. Uh, but anyhow, so things that were easily repaired in their case, they have. I mean, I get to hand over the entire inspection report, which you would never do in resale. Walk me through that. Why? Oh, it's just bad business. That would be bad business. to, Because as, um, as a real estate agent, you have to disclose every single thing you know. Right. Okay? Okay. So if you send me this report... On every single little cosmetic thing, and like I, like I just mentioned to you, inspectors have to make their job worthy, and so they find lots of things, even sure. when there doesn't need to be stuff found. But So they will put this lengthy list. If I send that whole report over to the agent, she now knows 
everything about this property so she, and she has a duty to report every single one of these things. And she didn't get the chance to contest the inspector. Correct. Or, yeah. Correct. That so it's not good practice well, to do be, that. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't it's be fair. actually really unethical. Yeah. yeah. Because you don't get to say, wait a second, how about this or this? And then all of a sudden there's a, you know, yeah, it's bad. So you don't do that. But with a new construction, you do that. And the builder yeah. fixes usually all of it or okay. negotiates a little bit with you. Um, so in this case, it, it was good that this guy was uber thorough with his cosmetic stuff. Um, and I appreciate that. I, it was also good, I think, for my client to, uh, they felt very, I, I'm certain they felt very validated with the purchase of an inspection, which is not that expensive. We're Do you talking. remember his name? Yeah, Michael. He's Austin. Pump him up. Uh, Austin Home Inspections. Private business. Um, super thorough. Good guy. Solid guy. Um, yeah. That's all right, we'll try and remember and post his. Uh, yeah, we'll try and remember and post I'll his info in the show notes for sure. Because like, people people may need an inspector sometime, and it's a good idea. Like, I mean, home inspector to check out, you know, our our rentals and just see that. Yeah, but, and I I think like with my our rentals, a lot of times I, I I don't need. While I want as many things fixed as I can, I also know that I'm coming in at a lower price. So I don't necessarily need everything fixed. Yeah. I just want to know like the big things, and that's where like. Any inspector is going to find, like, they have a duty to check X, Y, and Z, right? Like yep. the HVAC and these certain things that need to be operating or be in operating order for them to give it a pass. So those are the things that in in an in investment property I'm more concerned with. Right. Whether or not, like, the kickboard underneath the dishwasher is level, I don't really care for this necessarily. Yeah. Now I'm going to try to get as much as perfect as I can, but uh, I don't need it to be as. Yeah, I mean we're not we're not living there, and and what? Well, and tenant, if I'm asking for a little bit lower sales price, we're just going to fix it. Then, and I would personally rather the lower pro- sales price because we can I don't control pay... how much it costs to fix. Correct, and you're not paying interest on the cost to repair. Right. Right. So if you spend, I mean, the the one we're doing right now with the fence is, is different, but if you spend 500 to a thousand bucks to do just minor repairs and you spend it out of your own pocket, I mean, it's much better than paying an extra thousand even on your purchase price. Cause then that's going to wrap into your loan. So correct. you always want to try and do that outside and do it yourself. Cause you can control how cheap it is and all that stuff. Yeah. And quick update on our second rental property, if anyone's been paying attention. Yes. We have rented. it signed, sealed, and delivered. We, we got it rented. And they're they're in a 15-month lease. So well, that explain, way they, explain why. Like, why that's important. Well, here we are. They're, I mean, they, they start January 18th, which is oh obviously odd. January is an odd-ish. It's probably the best... January 1 is probably the best start date of the winter months. So to go... And to go back, like, I forget the exact day we signed everything, but it was in, like, mid to late November. And then... We closed, yeah. We closed, and then we went all of December without a tenant, and then started January. So, you know... And this is something we, we were comfortable with, and we knew we were likely to not go with a tenant there, but... 
you know, we've paid a mortgage and now yeah. we're about to pay Utilities. another mortgage. So we had to we had to front some cash to 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 make all this work. So you know, well, and just to share a little like inside secret there, not that big of a secret, but they wanted a February one start date. Oh yeah, and what were, we were giving them something. Oh, one of the tenants doesn't have great credit. So we were willing to turn a blind eye to the not-so-great credit. Because the other one has like a 720 with a great job. They both have great jobs. Uh, But But she qualifies just herself. Right. So we were willing to look the other way if they would be willing to sign the lease sooner. Um, So... I mean, it's not a huge difference, but we got to negotiate the start date, too. So I think that's important for you to understand that there's negotiating all the way until the very end. Right. Um, And then the reason we opted for the May 31st is, so it's January... April April 30th. Sorry, May 1st, yeah. So um, January 18th, 2020 to April 30th, 2021... So that the next time it comes up for rent, it's in peak market season. Like we'll take two weeks, clean it up and get it right back on the market and hopefully get a tenant in there in the strongest time of the year. That's all our properties. We try and get the rent to come up or I'm sorry, the lease to come up in that time frame Yeah. rather than like at the end of the year. So we know, okay, we're not going to have to go a month or two. November is tough, right? Like there's just certain times. December is obviously horrible because March, April, May, even June, like you're going to get a tenant tenant right away. There's a ton of people looking for properties because people, their kids finish school, they're moving, like it's just a much better time. Yeah. Yeah. So that, just to update there. Um, And then another episode, you kept asking me what... What question does everybody ask you? So I've been kind of paying attention to that. Like, what what are people asking me all the time? You know what people ask me all the time? Right. And I think it's because I I am attracting, um, for lack of a better term, unsophisticated investors. Newer investors. New investors. Um, I'm an unsophisticated investor, so I have no problem saying that. But... So I, I'm attracting that person, and as a result, when I share with them um, a property and I, I give them information about the cap rate and yields and this and that, I, I kid you not, every single time the very first question is, what's a cap rate? Right, so we should probably explain kind of generally what a cap rate is and, and just other terms like around that like yield appreciation and just explain kind of how it works yeah I, I don't think it's a bad idea i mean really being able to it's hard to dumb it down like it's a because it's complex like i i have a quick little text that i put out there but it is it's it's complex and it it changes property yeah. to property so it's not this like set number that you look for but go ahead and, and we go, you... we we go over it with every property but I'll give like simple numbers like picture that you're buying a house for a hundred thousand dollars that'd be a cheap house but hundred thousand is an even number so I'm just going with that and your you know annual rent that you get is sixty two hundred so. And that's net. That's, you know, net of all your expenses and, and everything else. So you're getting $6,200 a year in cash and it costs you a hundred grand in cash to buy it. So that's a 6.2 cap. And cap just refers to, 
it, it normally is going to refer to how much a property costs. So this is normally going to be a term when you buy the property, what is the cap rate? And then you also got to assume, so the cap deals with how much rent you're going to get. That's your yield. What, how much income are you going to get on an ongoing basis? You got to add appreciation to that. So I always just assume as a rule of thumb that properties are going to long-term appreciate about 6%. So that's a 12.2% total return. So that's pretty good. I mean, we haven't even talked about tax deductions or anything like that. But now what people need to understand is, okay, you can increase your yield. So the cap rate's always going to stay the same because it doesn't take debt into the equation. But you can increase your yield, your percent return of income when you do leverage, when you use leverage. So if you on that same $100,000 property, you know, the annual rent 6200, well, let's say you only put 20,000 down and you leverage the other $80,000. Well, now you've got an extra expense because you got to pay uh, principal and interest, but your yield goes up. So the cap rate in our other example is 6.2% because you're not leveraged. The same example, the yield goes up to 8.14%. And the difference between yield and cap rate, in both those examples, that's what you're going to get. But the cap rate, you, you calculate by taking away any reference to debt or anything like that. It's just... You know, how much rent do you get? What are your expenses? So what's your net rent? And how much does the property cost? Where when, when, we, when we're dealing with the yield, we're talking about how much cash did we put into the deal? So your yield goes up when you leverage the property. So that, that second example, 20% down, takes your yield up to 8.14%. Knock your appreciation on top of that, and you're now at 14.14%. So you're almost 2% higher in your total return just because you're using that leverage. Okay, can I... Pause you there real quick. Yes. Because that's a lot of numbers. Yep. My eyes are starting to glaze over. Okay. So that 14.4, I heard that. 14.14. 14.14. So that is like, that number, I'm I'm now comparing that to my return on my in the stock market. So when people say, oh, you're going to have a 10% return in the stock market. Is right. that kind of the same number? Yeah, it's similar, but let's, let's make some distinctions here. So, and, and yes, when, when I invest, when we invest in our 401k, that's what we get long-term is 10, 10 to 12%. Yeah. Because we're in all stocks and we don't do bonds and stuff like that. So long-term. Long-term we're getting. 10 years. Yeah. I, I'd say 12%, but 10 to 12%. Okay. And this you know, when, when we use leverage is, is a higher return. I mean, it's 14.14% and you're including annually, annually, annually. Now with any investment, you don't get the same return every year. It may go up a little, may go down. We may be missing rent one month. We may get extra rent. Based on this number right now, how it looks, it looks like we would get 14%. Yeah. Yeah. On, on this example. So that's why when people say use leverage to get a higher return, that that's what you're doing. It, it, it means you're putting less cash in the deal and you're getting a slightly higher yield. And as a result, again, your yield plus your appreciation is your total return. You're getting a higher return. Okay. Now, can I add one more wrinkle in there? Sure. I'm going to need a graph. Okay. So if... If you think about it, when you make your mortgage payment, what a lot of people don't take into account is that you are paying both principal and interest. So the interest goes to the bank, right? Right. The bank lent you the money, they're getting the interest. The principal 
you're making that your mortgage payment, but it's ultimately going to you because it's putting sure. into the house extra equity that you didn't have before. So in our same example, okay, that 80, 80, uh, 20%, 20% down, yeah. 80% loan, that monthly payment is, is what, $381 a month, okay. okay? But here's the deal. Of that monthly payment, okay, you end up putting uh, $114.33 of principal pay down. Right. So you're paying yourself. Right. Interest is the majority. But here's the deal. Interest is the majority at the beginning. Every time you make a principal payment... The next month you're paying less interest because right. you're paying because right. your principal goes Long down. One one. So basically, what you that extra one hundred fourteen dollars and thirty three cents you gotta you gotta count that into your yield because you're paying yourself. Now it's locked as equity in the house, yes, but I still think you should incorporate that into that return, and that takes your return from that. Uh, or your yield rather, it, it brings it all the way up to 15%, just your yield, if you include the principal pay down. And then on top of that, you get extra benefits in the term, in terms of, uh, you know, tax benefits. Um, you can write down a lot of the cost of the purchase of the house. So something that originally looks like kind of a six and a half percent. So we've always used the guide of like, I don't, I don't usually initially calculate in appreciation. I just kind of run the quick and dirty, the, exactly. the operating expenses, the mortgage. And That's why the, we always like if, if it's a, you know. Between six and, six and eight. really five and I seven. Know. Like, but, I, no, I rarely find an eight. Yeah, in the single family housing market, you, that's more like um, right. multifamily. And, and so yeah, yeah, if we can find in that range. And then, so now you're telling me that if we start adding in. Yeah. When you add in appreciation and everything, everything I mean, conservatively, our, is when you look at our properties, brand. they're averaging you know around twenty percent long term, just with with all those different things uh, kind of incorporated. So there's and this is a solid real estate market that you're talking about, like cause, yeah, I'm t- well, I mean, I don't think anyone's choosing to buy in a bad market, but there are people buying properties. All over the U.S. Oh well, you gotta you gotta understand. Like in certain markets, the cap rates are much lower. Like Southern California, right? I mean, because it's a higher priced home. Yeah, I mean, for for look at look at our house, the the houses we bought. Those would be six hundred thousand dollar houses, but you're not getting. So that's that's literally three times the cost for the house. You're not getting three times the rent. So as a result, your yields going down and. That's why cap rates in Southern California are lower. So normally, when the prices prices are higher, the cap rates are going to be. Why are lower. they still on the list, though? I mean, I just read a Forbes article that California is still on the list of places to invest in real estate. Well, but but so so a couple things. It's not declining yet. It, yeah. Just well, basically? no. So a couple things there. Remember, there's the income. When we're talking cap rates and yield, I'm on the income side. The appreciation side, you got to take into the account for your total return. And, you know, the properties we buy in Kyle, Texas are not probably going to appreciate as fast as a property in Southern California. They could, but just especially in recent history, most people think of Southern California as appreciating faster. So that's why those cap rates are going to be lower out there. The other thing... Or maybe it's kind of the, the the bigger risk... The bigger reward? Risk, well, risk is a big part of that because, you know, when you look at, especially like com- when people talk about commercial property, 
people will buy lower cap rate properties all the time because they just want a safe place to put their money. So for instance, people who do large 1031 exchanges, that, that so just yep. real quick, that's a tax-free exchange as long as you put your money into another property within a certain period of time. They want ready-made properties that they know they can put their money into. So they're willing to do low cap rate properties just because with the tax benefits and everything else, they're still getting a good return. But you know, you'll see commercial properties in like, in like Los Angeles and places like that with like three caps in a real good market, you know, four caps, things like that. So, you know, and then, and then you'll see properties elsewhere, like in, you know, bad neighborhoods that are risky or rundown properties, things like that. You could see eight, 10, 12 caps, even sometimes higher. So So not surprising that it's still on the list. Yeah. I mean, cap rate, it it, it, kind of depends on what you're looking for, but if you're looking for a safe, investment and that's what we are with those single family homes. I mean a five, six, seven, eight would be really great. Like that's totally fine for a cap rate for for me. Yeah, and it's not safe, but I mean it's a I would say we're, There's always we're conservative. We're being conservative yeah. right now. I think the stock market is more conservative than this though. Over time, we will earn a much lower return in the stock market. Yeah, and and yeah, it's so people because there's costs involved in getting loans. There's right? there's people, and we're there's, finding already that we're starting to max out on our loans. Yeah, there's there's uh, there's less uh, there's periods where it's not rented. Tenants, yeah. you know, won't, won't pay you. But as long as you have some cash to back it up, it's not the big deal. But I, I never. In our stock portfolio, no one's ever not paid me. I mean, it just is, right. is there, you know, and it, and it just appreciates. So it's a lot easier. There's no involvement on our part in our stock portfolio. So to some extent, I, I expect to get paid more in our real estate portfolio. Yeah. Because I know in, in the stock in the stock market, I'm over the long term going to get, you know, 10, 12%. And I, I want the real estate to make more. Otherwise, why would you do it? Right. Right. Well, it's proving too. So, so far, so good. So far, so good. Yeah, we're actually going tomorrow to look at a few. I have my IM1 in particular. This would be our first four bedroom. Yes. Um, in a little bit different pocket of the same suburb that we've been staying in, which is Kyle, Texas. Uh, this one has tap rated schools. Uh, Top-rated elementary school. It's an eight. So to me, wow. that's that's a top-rated school. Yeah. Um, I I like to follow the schools. I think over. I I do think there's enough growth going on between Manchac, Buda, and Kyle that all of the schools are going to be forced to clean up. And I've said that over and over again. But I still do. I do think that no matter where you go, like there's something to be said about purchasing real estate around a school that is a five or higher like and that you think is going to improve long term yeah and even if it doesn't but at least it sits at a five and, and not a i mean there are twos i, yeah. I looked at a property the other day that's in a two um so i'm just not interested in that and it, it kind we're of just, even, we're gonna have more potential tenants because parents want to be in that school district yeah there's so many things and it, it maybe even goes back to when i worked at nordstrom and we i knew that like the research that nordstrom did before they put a new building in. So when we moved to St. Louis, I knew to find a place within like a seven mile, I forget what it was exactly, but a seven mile radius of the Nordstrom. Right. 
because they had already done all the market research. It was, a, it was a great neighborhood. And it just, yeah. So I, I just think it's a really easy way to eliminate a lot of the other stuff. So anyhow, this one is in a great neighborhood. The, the list price right now is 209 And it, the, the, the active days on the market is 48, but the total days on the market is 123. You know the difference is there? No. Can I, before you go over that, can I do a quick story about St. Louis? It, yeah. Do you remember the one time when I went to go get my hair cut and the guy pulled out a, a floby? The barber pulled <laughs> out. Put, I don't remember a, much from that. He had a year of our life. Remember what a floby was? The, yeah, the yeah, thing yeah. where you put a vacuum on it yeah, and it sucks your, your hair, hair through it. Cut, and it's actually had, kind of genius if you have. I, I can't believe for a dog, really. For a dog, yeah, yeah. But they used to use it for humans. I haven't seen one of those in years. But he had like an industrial floby. That had a tube that went into like a vacuum in the wall, so and they had like bad. a bunch of these. And like, I, I just sat down and like, Did you I was let him? Well, I, like, I sat down in the <laughs> barber chair and I didn't think, like, I wasn't paying attention to what he was doing. And then all of a sudden, I hear this sound, and I thought it was, you know, the normal clippers that they use. And all of a sudden, it, it's a floby. And he starts, oh. like, flobying my hair. What I would do to get video of that event. I, I wish, I wish. But all right, you were. Okay. I digress. Totally. Um, okay. So anyhow, four bedroom, 209, active days on market is 68. The, basically, the true days on the market is 123. And what that means... Right, what's that? It could mean a, several different things. But a lot of times, it's, they took it off the market maybe... This time of year, maybe I'm going to say maybe for Christmas or Thanksgiving or something. So like they said, hey, let's put it on the market in September. And they're like, hey, we're just going to do Thanksgiving, Christmas. Yeah, and or off. you try to reset it. So then it pops up fresh in someone's feed. Uh, you you have to have it off the market for 30 days for it to pop up fresh. So I don't, I haven't looked up the history to see what the gap is oh. on that. But it, it's a, it's a marketing strategy. It's not the prettiest strategy because you can kind of you tell can figure it out really quick by looking <laughs> but if at someone it. didn't have an agent maybe they wouldn't know. right or like you think of some of the big ones like realtor.com or redfin or whatever it is like you all of a sudden this pops back up as a new listing well the second anyone looks into it they can see the history but still it popped into your feed and maybe there's new pictures or something okay so, anyhow so there might be something wrong with it i mean our average days on market is 58, I think now. Yeah. And it's at 123. So there's some, there's some reason why no one else is buying it. The price isn't, it's not, I don't think it's way overpriced. Um, we're going to try to come in lower, but anyhow, it's, it's big. I mean, it's 101 square feet, $101 per square foot, Okay, which is a good price. Yeah. Uh, it's 2,000 square feet, which is bigger than we do. We don't normally do four bedrooms, but when I run the rental comps on this guy, it I mean, the, the rents in this neighborhood, recent comps are coming back at 1,900. So that's pretty good. 1,875. Like, I think we will um, be able to, I don't know, get near that, and our mortgage will be similar to what we just closed on. We closed at 197.5, so... In my head, we're coming. We're going to come in quite a bit lower, knowing that it's been on the market. Right. I mean, if we can pick this thing up for you know anywhere close to two hundred, like I think that'll be a. I agree. They bought it. I can see they bought it for one thirty nine. 
Right. They've so, tried to sell it a couple times. So, so there's, a, there's a few red flags with it. Yeah, I mean... But we're not looking to live in it. And we are by no means slumlords. So I don't ever want that to come across like, I don't care about the property. I just mean I'm not emotionally invested in the layout necessarily where I would be if I lived in it. Right. That's right. all I mean when I say that. I don't mean it like I don't care about the house. Right. Because so, I do. Yeah, I mean, so that that could that, that could easily good, be right? a real good. I oddly uh, have two four bedrooms that we're looking at. Tomorrow. Yeah, because normally we like the three bedrooms, two yeah. bath in that fourteen hundred square foot yeah. range. But so this is a little bigger. But but one of our properties is is more like eighteen hundred square feet. Yeah, that one that one does pretty well. So if we can get this for a good price, like I'm I'm all about it. We'll see how it looks. I mean, and this one's a tad closer to downtown Austin, so it's um it just that much to me that's that much more desirable right good schools seems like a good pocket we'll see when we get there uh we're doing a couple houses out yeah there. we'll look at three okay. i don't have them all set yet but uh we'll look at three over there and hopefully make a decision you know it's kind of a funky time right here in austin because inventory right now i mean stuff is coming on the market yeah we're, we're like, let's say for the last 60 days, we've been getting one to two houses on the market in this area. Right. Now, now it's starting to jump up. Three to five. And we're going to blink in another month. But prices are going to come on a bit higher, too, now. Yeah, right? Yeah, more people. More buyers. They're, they're coming on because there's more buyers. Yeah. So yeah, it's this well, funky thing where the price maybe goes up, but the inventory, there's more to choose from. So you get to maybe pick yeah fingers is, fingers crossed yeah so uh but there'll be properties like this too i mean everyone has to sell at some point so yeah. should we talk about your new listing yes uh that goes live next wednesday on the mls that's a ranch right yes so this is uh hill country this is a slice of hill country living i mean heaven really it's 58.25 acres in Dripping Springs, so top-rated schools, completely unrestricted. Uh, it's at currently ag-exempt, so you would have to continue that or uh, switch over to wildlife, which you, you could do that. It's, you, so it's complicated. You, I don't know that I want to fully get in. I know you're going to ask me to get into that. I can... Be very. I can do real topical on the difference between wildlife and. Well, ag. I mean, just just basically, you're just you're just reducing your 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 property taxes that you pay because almost you meet the requirements. Them. Yeah, almost removing them by meeting the requirements of you yeah. know agriculture okay, so, or, or wildlife. Conservation. Yeah, so the state of Texas. Um, I don't know when. The, I I want to say in the 80s or something realized that farmers were getting pushed out or landowners were getting pushed out of. Their homes because their taxes, right? Like they right. can afford their taxes on their land. These are we're talking people that own maybe thousands and thousands of acres, but actually twenty acres too. And so the state of Texas created two different exemptions: uh, ag exempt and wildlife exempt. Ag is for people that have a certain amount of cattle, certain amount of horses, crops for business, crops for business. Uh, uh, chickens, goats, anything for business, right? Like not just two horses, and now you're you're ag exempt. So can we get a goat in the backyard? And... Nope. 
Um, and there is, there's a, there's a formula per county, right? That says, okay, in our county, you have to have say four goats per acre or something. You know what I mean? Whatever it is, there's a formula. And so when that happens, it doesn't roll down to a certain, there's not, it's a formula. So I can't even say it turns into 0.25, but your tax rate goes from say 2% down to $150. That's a big difference. So 2% on your land value. And let's say it's $2 million. Let's use that. It's a fairly even number. Yeah. So your taxes are... Two, oh, uh, you're catching me off guard. 40 grand. Right? $2 million, 2%, 2% 40 grand. 40 grand. So that's 40 grand every year. If you're ag exempt, it goes down to... And don't quote me on this number. Like it's a thousand like, bucks. No. Like... In the hundreds. Yeah. It's crazy. Less than a thousand bucks. Less than a thousand dollars. So you're saving 39 grand by having your cows or whatever you got on there. Right. The difference between ag and wildlife is simply wildlife is that you are, you've, you've created a space on your acreage that is supporting wildlife. So you've got shelter for, say, quail. You've got, um, there's different ant things that you can do. Ants. Uh, yeah, like I mean, native we ants need quails, and we non. Need ants. Right. Well, you do. We need ants. We need them all. But we don't need the non native ants. Um, there's bees. I think a lot. That's very trendy right now to have bees. bees. And bees you can actually do on a smaller acreage. The average acreage, the smallest acreage on average, so different counties could have different ones, is 10. If you have less than 10, you don't really look at exemptions. Bees are six, usually. Right. So, and then they're... I mean, you, you, you have to meet with someone who is a specialist in this. I am not. I've sat in many, many uh, seminars and conferences and meetings with clients, but still, I, I mean, it's it's very intricate. But there are a lot of ways uh, to get, your to get it. And this property has exempt, uh, existing ag exemption... So very low taxes, you would have to apply, like when you purchase this, whoever purchases it has to apply next January to keep it, or if they want to roll it into wildlife, they could, um, and they would have to prove, show the papers, and then if you don't, the the buyer would have to pay rollback taxes for three years. Okay, so you want to keep this thing. Roll, rollback taxes. Yeah, it's a big deal. So uh, what amazing gift that the state of Texas gives to landowners, I think. Um, and it's just really enhancing our state by supporting the wildlife and the animals. As long as you're using your savings to donate to the local football team. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, the, the okay, jo- so back to the property. jumbotrons don't pay for themselves. So... 58.25 acres, it's, there's a, like a adorable little farmhouse style ha- house on it that is a uh, four bedroom with a small little flex study slash game room, uh, three bathrooms, there are horse stables on the property, there's a 40,000 gallon cistern, do you know what a cistern is? No. It's. A water reservoir in ground, and it's actually not even being used. So this is like 
reserves. For like preppers? For what? For off the grid preppers or? For a drought, Uh you could, if you had cattle, you could water, you could use that water to water your cattle. You could use that water to maintain your landscaping. Ah, that's good uh, you wouldn't drink this water. I sh- I'm surely you could filter it. Right, but, uh, but no, this water it's probably is probably for the land itself. Yeah, I mean it. I, mean, I have no clue what this thing costs, but it's amazing. There is also uh, multiple wells on the property, so there'll be no shortage of water. Um, Texas has had droughts before, so it's a legitimate concern. There's rainwater yeah. collection on the property. Okay. Um, there's a very large septic system on the property. There's a uh, commercial size greenhouse to be used as you wish. Well, don't don't take that the wrong way, Californians. It's uh, this is Texas. It's still illegal. It's still illegal here. here. Uh, but there is a commercial grade greenhouse and there's a chicken coop there's the makings of a horse ring there's a wet weather creek what does that mean wet weather creek or pond intermittent pond you'll hear that when too it rains a lot right when it rains a lot it fills up it could um if you i believe it's it's not gunite there's another there's a silica it's that clay stuff yeah. you can make it into a real you pond all year round you can put fish a, in all, it what, yeah. all your yeah pond um And then there's just beautiful land, and we cleared out a ton of the cedars, and there's some amazing oaks back there, and your neighbors are horse ranchers on one side, and I've never even seen the neighbors on the other, so I don't know. Uh, That's how big the property is, right? Uh, So why don't we buy it? We're stuck with our school district, sorry. We have four kids in our school district. They can't can't go to Dripping Springs School District? No. So the price tag on this is 1.8. Okay. Um, that's a great price for that. Many that's great price dripping for springs. That. Like, yeah, it is, it's vacant. It's ready for someone to come and love it. Did I mention there's an in-ground pool and spot? No. Yeah. So, and the pool, like the location of the pool is obviously off the back deck, but it, it is literally like facing this amazing, the, the whole country, like. Yeah, you could sit in that hot tub and have a nice night. Like, it's beautiful. Very cool. So, yeah, that's our new listing. It goes live next week. So, can we talk about the need to get a uh, a, a golf cart to tour the property? Yes. Is that necessary? Uh, I don't think the masses want to hear about that. But they do. I think it's... They want to hear about it. Because golf carts and, and UTVs, utility vehicles in Texas, is, is a thing. So, it's important. Yeah, so we're, with this listing, I'm doing uh, showings by agent with agent only, so I have to be there. Right. It's just way too complicated of a property to just let any agent go show it. It's also gated. Uh, so, so uh, we, my husband has been looking for any reason to purchase a Invest. purchase Invest. a mule slash golf cart slash. ATV, anything off-road vehicle. So yeah, but we've we've gone away from originally. We're gonna do like the Polaris, like a Ranger, like a hunting. We just don't need to. We don't. We need like, a we need a golf cart. It needs to be lifted with yeah. with with tires that with can tires. that can but go on. Honestly, dirt, but... if it's thick mud out there, I'm not driving. No one wants to go out there. Right. And if it's raining, I'm certainly no not taking them out there. So it 
Because you mess up the, the property anyway. Yeah, it's no good. Um, so, yeah, that will be a fun little purchase that we'll make here in the next probably 14 days because I expect to get some activity on this property here soon. Yeah. Um, We're going to put a Texas Longhorn on the uh, on the front. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's necessary. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> I think my kids and my husband are more excited about that than anything else. Um, yeah, yeah. Jacob already said down to the pool. that he's going to practice driving it. On well, he property. better because he's not the not. I mean, he's got to get some practice driving if yes, he expects he to get his license when, yes, he when he's sixteen. He's already got his almost got his permit. So, all right. Well, should we uh, should we wrap it up and call it a night? I think it's time. I'm getting text messages from parents asking where their kids are. So I think it's time. All right, well, we'll we'll get that sorted out. See everyone next time. Okay, bye-bye.